Welcome to the Business of Open Source, where we talk about the interplay between building great open source projects and building financially successful and sustainable businesses. I am Emily O'Meara, your host. First of all, if you enjoy this podcast, consider sharing it with your friends or reviewing it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps the audience grow and it helps me create more excellent episodes. Second of all, if you are the founder of an open source company and you're struggling to differentiate your project and your product in the marketplace, or you're unsure about how to segment your users and customers, or if you just feel like you're facing increasingly stiff competition, that is precisely the kind of thing that I help companies with. So if that's you, reach out on LinkedIn or through my website, which is emilyomir.com, and we'll see if I can help. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the Business of Open Source. I am Emily Omir, your host, and today I'm chatting with Nicholas Honing, who is the co-founder and CEO of Saita. And this is actually going to be a really interesting podcast, I think, because it's um, outside of the usual for open source companies. So thank you, Nicholas, for, for joining me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So can you introduce yourself and introduce the company and give people an idea of you know, why I say this might be a little less usual? So I'm German originally. I've moved to the Netherlands 15 years ago. Um, and I always say I've been a programmer myself for a bit more than 20 years now. So I'm uh, older than 40 by this time. And more than 13 years ago, I've actually switched into a specific sector, which is energy. I uh, started a PhD back then, 2009, about yeah, smart control of energy assets, which are more on the edge of the energy network. I can go into more of the details how the, how the whole system uh, is changing. Uh, hint, renewables, uh, the rise of renewables are uh, one of the driving forces. And back then it was only a theory, but this is now the time that uh, a lot of things have cleared up and it's actually happening. And after the PhD, I teamed up with a colleague of mine, an ex-colleague from the research days. I had uh, done one or two jobs in the meantime, but 2018, I think we uh, we teamed up and founded Saita Energy Flexibility with uh, the understanding we had for the research, but also to make great software. As we could see, uh, the whole energy sector is uh, in need of digitalization and smart software to do more real-time control uh, on the edges where. As of now, it has all been, been more centralized. So we make smart software that sits in the cloud and makes uh, smart decisions. And the decision to go open source uh, is also now by now two years old or more, I think. Um, and I want to say about that, uh, that you see here a very mission-driven company. So uh, I think you often have that with open source companies. Uh, I'm happy to talk about our mission uh, here but also happy to talk about how to productize that. So we are a commercial open source company. That's uh, how we believe this can work. Uh, but we have to marry our mission to uh, economic success. And that's, uh, as I hear in your podcasts episodes also, uh, very challenging, as I can confirm. Well, I want to talk about all of those things. But the first thing actually that I wanted to understand was a little bit more about this ecosystem of the energy sector. like. What is what should we know about building software for the energy sector? And then 
Is there anything like specifically about building open source software that's going to be for the the energy sector that's unique? I mean, how, like for example, how much do people even know that open source software, you know, is is a thing? I think open source software has been a success story, and I'm going around in the energy uh, world, uh, and and I'm shouting that from the rooftop there, because people actually don't know about it at all, or they have these older suspicions what it is. For instance, that open source is uh, usually just copying something closed source that has been a success, but that it's usually worse. And, and then you get IP problems that others can do what you've, you've invested in. These, these kind of worries you meet a lot because it's a more traditional industry, an industry that has uh, written software to a larger extent. But the, the type of software engineer is, uh, is not present as much. So that I think this is coming up now. So the energy companies, the traditional ones and the, the new ones are building up teams with more and more modern uh, environments and uh, actually hiring software engineers that are only that, only really uh, experts in software. You would expect that happened to me 10 years ago that you only meet electrical engineers. Who also write software. So you have uh, some culture problems there uh, as well. And you have a long history of uh, this is how we did things. And, and of course, then the minds are not as open uh, towards uh, something a bit more. It sounds radical at the beginning. So tell me actually a little bit more about how you ended up in the energy sector, because it sounds like you're, this isn't you, you you are kind of come in as somebody who's not the usual mold of a software engineer who works in the energy sector. So how did you end up here? I think this is about the mission and, and deciding what can I do that's most valuable with the knowledge I have. That's not unique to me, right? Uh, you have a lot of people looking for this. This was 2000. Nine for me. There was other topics in the world going around then now. Uh, one instance I always like to joke about is peak oil. That was a huge topic back then. But the reliance on fossil fuels and, uh, and, and climate was already present. Um, so I was looking for opportunities there. And then the PhD position basically was my opportunity to learn more, to really get into in touch with the sector. Uh, in, in my PhD project, we were partnered with a couple companies. And back then there was not a lot of um, novel uh, entries into the uh, energy world in the the sector. You usually really talk to established uh, companies with uh, all these electrical engineers. And I think that 10 years since then, you've seen a lot of startups coming in with a lot of other motivated people also that bring in more traditional or more modern software knowledge instead of just coming from the electrical engineering corner. So tell us a little bit more about your your mission. It sounds like this is not just a mission, like a company mission. This is like a like a life mission. Yeah, it has become a life mission. Of course, if you've, you've been on it to, with a PhD and uh, I worked for one uh, energy aggregating startup in between uh, and then this for a couple of years now, then it's, it, it takes over your life story, of course. But I'm happy still to do that. Uh, I still believe that the knowledge I'm bringing in, this is my attempt at, uh, at making, uh, having one go at making a bigger difference. Of course, as we'll talk about later, that's not as easy uh, as you think in the beginning. But I, I truly believe that uh, software is uh, a key enabler here. So there's a lot of things we now, by now know, and by now have been accepted across the world that a couple of assumptions are really 
holding that uh, renewable energy, for instance, is going to be cheaper and cheaper, that we can use assets like electric vehicles, uh, heat pumps for increased electrification of things that have been fossil fuel powered before. These are two major streams of assumptions that weren't clear, but now this is cleared up. We don't need to invent the, the highest levels of AI to make this work. It's more of a, a software problem, a configuration problem, a standards problem, data model problem. So really tough software problems that we know we can do, but it's a huge job. And now the, all the governments have basically understood that they have to make a plan. And also all big organizations have understood the same. They have 10 years, 15 years plans how to reduce their fossil fuel emissions. Uh, and that's, that's in, very interesting, right? So you have an understanding of the big need. You have an understanding that it's possible. Um, you have timelines now. So on this high level, there's an amazing level of clarity now. My mission here is that uh, we not only let big corporations do this across the world, it would, uh, A, I don't think that's uh, good for the world, and B, more importantly, even I think it's taking too long. So uh, countries like India or name anyone, uh, South Africa, uh, they have to start today as well. We only have 10 or 15 years. Every year is super important here that has been established. And so one of the impacts I want to make is that I help everybody on the world to go and get started tomorrow if they, if they agree. Is that why open source was important? Yeah, so that's the initial motivation that I think uh, this can make a difference that is very tangible. There's going to be a lot of startups in all of these countries, but they basically would have to wait for uh, larger companies uh, and then they take over the market or they develop something themselves, but it's yeah, you already. This is difficult software to to write. So I've, we've been on it for a couple of years to really get it right and think it through and iterate. And I don't want everybody to have these uh, two or three years uh, starting time and then or rush with something that's you know closed source and you just want to show some features and but it's it it will fall apart once you add more and more of this of the complexity in the energy system. An example is that you can uh, quite quickly, I think come up with some software that um, matches your solar energy from your rooftop with something flexible you have uh, in your house. Let's just say you have an electric vehicle. That's luckily now a more and more of a reality. Some countries, not just Western world countries. Uh, so that seems to be something you can do on a Raspberry Pi. Uh, let's say you take some other open source software like Home Assistant, which uh, we're actually using in some R&D projects, which is great. And you're adding a couple lines of code. This is basically some if-else statement that the car should be charged when the sun is shining on your roof. So you have a seemingly easy entry, but then quickly, if you add other things, you get a quite complicated picture. For instance, network constraints are a big worry these days in the for the network operators, but then also for the bigger users who can get permissions to use more capacity so the electrification is stopping. Uh, and there's a couple other ingredients. So you quickly get to more complexity. And I want to help with our software that uh, this bump in the road doesn't hit everybody. We'll make software that is well thought through and can tackle these things. So who are your users and then who are your customers? That's a very important question. And one that I haven't figured out completely. Users, that's startups. So I'm, I'm getting uh, interests uh, in, in, on that level, for instance, on the um, flex measures mailing list, 
FlexMeasures is the name of, of the um, software platform that we are open sourcing. And that's startups that usually do something about smart charging these days. That's the hot topic, but also understand that they need to do some other things, but also they serve industry. I have uh, startups from Australia and the UK and here in the Netherlands that are looking into using it. I'm, I'm writing tutorials for them and I'm doing the extra mile there because uh, uh, I've heard recently uh, on, on Accelerator program that you were also on as a speaker in last year. That Yes, the, I saw that, the primary primary VC one. Right, right. And and somebody there, I, I forgot who it was, framed it like this, that, uh, building a community of users and the beginning is hand-to-hand combat. I've taken this to heart. So that's the user part of the of your question and the customers that's quite difficult so we, we have some some uh, customers from the built environment uh, and usually there there's two parts you have the built environment where people actually live so which is made up of apartments but also built environment of more commercial activity which would be offices and uh, small medium enterprises that's currently something that's uh, viable because adding anything in, in apartments to, to, to make a smart home that's also energy modern has very low margins. So we're, we're talking to a couple also well-funded scale-ups there, but <clears throat> we have to make it work. I'm hoping for next year. Uh, in the other case of the built environment, it's hard for me to define who they are because they are changing. They, they uh, For instance, they are uh, installation companies who have delivered real estate projects uh, and then they've installed electrical appliances and, and basically have it uh, have a building key ready and just hand it over and now these companies are changing they have to they understand that the assets you're installing to make an energy modern building like solar panels or heat pumps have to be operated well and that's a role they should grow into it also is a, that's also a business case because you need to invest more in your building in the beginning and then it's something like a 15 year payback period which I think can be a eight or ten year payback period if you operate everything uh, more intelligently. If you day by day save 15-20% of your energy costs, you have a faster return of investment, which is the enticing case here to make. But I see these companies who have existed now for a couple of decades or let's say one decade, and they've done other things before. They this is new for them. So I see a lot of orientation and confusion. So I'm curious actually why you didn't mention individuals. And the reason I'm curious is because when you were first describing this, the vision I had was here's a person who's really into green renewable energy. They have the solar panels on their roof. They have the electric vehicle. They have their Raspberry Pi. And they're going to they're going to set this up um, by themselves. That was what I was expecting you to say. And then you didn't. So I'm just curious, why aren't those people users or are they? And it's just not what you're focused on. I interpreted uh, the question of, of users like that these users would really actually install flex mirrors by themselves. And I think it's a little bit too enterprisey. It's, it's quite complex software. I encourage everyone to check out how we've tried to make it very accessible with a, a series of tutorials, uh, you know, documentation is up as a Docker image. And, and that's what we also see the potential users trying first. They they use the Docker w- version and try to get it running. Yeah, but that's really, you have to be a developer. So that's what we're, we're looking at. We, 
this is not the industry of developer tooling, which you have on your podcast a lot, but we're, uh, we're trying to also have that mind frame that a developer should find it. But for individuals, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I want to mention a project we are running, which kind of goes in that direction, but it's not our commercial future, but we've made a vehicle to grid uh, work with open source software. So vehicle to grid is uh, electric vehicle uh, charging and discharging. That's uh, a hotly debated new uh, innovation, but it's not hit the market yet uh, in, in larger percentages. The, the big uh, manufacturers are of cars and the, and the car chargers are still waiting and if they should offer that. I think Tesla has decided against it categorically, but we've made it work with another enthusiastic small company that wanted to do that. They bought the, exactly the charger that can do that. They bought the Nissan Leaf car, which was around two years ago, the only car that could do this to not just charge, but also give the power back. And in the Netherlands, you can get dynamic prices as an individual household. There's now six energy suppliers who offer that. Also, small and medium enterprises can do that. That's where a lot of our economic uh, interest is going towards. And then we've made that work with just flex measures, with Home Assistant, and we, we've tied the ends together. Uh, that project is called V2G Liberty. Uh, you can look it up. And we've a couple of people interested in it. I think there's now more than 10 people doing that. So they install Home Assistant in their house. And a couple of them told us they tried to get flex measures also running and and put everything together. It's not that FlexMeasures doesn't run, but you have to configure it a bit. Uh, and, and for them, basically, we offer that that we make them an account, a cheap account. And because we host FlexMeasures, I think that's what you want to talk about as well. Uh, we um, That's one of our services. We will definitely talk about that. I just wanted to make sure that I understand uh, what you mean by charging and discharging. Do you mean basically your vehicle is acting like an external battery? So during the day, you're solar panels are charging your vehicle and then the sun goes down and uh you know you turn on the lights and the energy is coming from your vehicle right that's what the car is doing i think i haven't mentioned how this is important because to come back very shortly on the on on what we want to really do for a greener world what flex measures is really doing is giving you the best timing of of these activities of consuming energy or even producing in this case the discharging is, yeah, you're acting as a, a producer on, on your edge of the network. And finding the best times to do that, basically, that's a, a scheduling, a forecasting and a scheduling task. So that's what FlexMeasures really is doing. That matters because the availability of green energy from solar and wind is now really becoming more influential. It's taking over. Of course, that's the CO2-free energy you can get. Right now, people are dealing with um, buying certificates. So they can become green, but that's not actually the real deal. You might get uh, in Europe, for instance, you buy a certificate that has been generated because some Norwegian hydro power plant has operated and got the certificate and it sold it further to you, but you're not really green. You're actually consuming power uh, at the time that only coal power plants are running. So uh, how green are you then? It's, it's not really the solution. And Consuming exactly at the right times and also supporting the grid at the right times is the real way to go green. And with these dynamic prices, actually, this aligns with better prices because the solar and wind power producers deliver at uh, uh, almost zero marginal costs. So the marginal daily prices 
that they can push when they produce a lot mean green is also cheap. I hope this summarizes it. You know, I have to to do it very quickly. No, it's it's excellent. Let's talk about commercial strategy. So uh, when you first started the company in 2018, how did you fund it at first? Like, did you get venture money? Did you have savings? What makes it even more difficult for us is that we're bootstrapping, but it also makes it easier. Imagine we would have taken venture capital in 2018 and things still wouldn't have gotten uh, went much faster than they did for us. We're carefully finding out what we need to build and, and who we need to talk to. And yeah, we we come across a lot that these companies don't know where they're going and that they don't have to act immediately. People are still looking at the uh, this new energy world emerging and they know it's happening. They, they have the 10 or 15 year plans, but that doesn't mean they have to do something now. And there's no status quo that you can compare to and, and say, well, paying this much now with your old method, let us replace your old method. That's why I think the venture capital game wasn't a good option for us at the time. We've funded ourselves, I think, with, let's say, two-thirds subsidies from, from R&D calls, which from our academic past, we, I think we have a pretty good success rate. You have to write these proposals and then you lose some. Uh, some years, we didn't get anything. Together with some commercial revenue from mostly what's paid pilots. I would say. So the two pillars of income that we're going for is, uh, I would say, consulting, sometimes it's called enterprise support, I say. And these consulting work often realizes itself as pilots. And then the other part would be software as service uh, hosting. That part is super small at this moment. And I'm hoping to turn the ratio around. I think we will always do both because we've realized that Flex measures, as it was designed, is, is a real-time tool. So it can operate on, on resolutions of, let's say, uh, a minute or five and then upwards. In the built environment, you talk about five minutes or 50 minutes intervals. And in the industry, you talk about hours. Uh, but then we've realized this real-time tool creates a lot of value when we use it as a digital twin, as a simulation tool in earlier phases of projects. Pilots might begin with that, for instance. I've talked about the difficult business case that might take 15 years or eight years to realize itself in uncertain environments because the uh, energy market regulations are changing a lot in the future. What will CO2 prices be, uh, network tariffs? How will the dynamic prices every day look like? Will they, as has been happening, uh, increase the spread between the highest and lowest price a lot or not? And for these concerns and simulations are very good. We have, for, for one customer, we created 16 scenarios that we talked about together, and then we ran, ran them all. And then we can also, then flex measures can really shine. We can really explain how this is a very well-modeled tool, which really helps you to model this timing aspect, forecasting and scheduling very well, and also data that is not recent. You might get some data that measurements that are not from just now. And you have weather forecasts that tell you something with uncertainty about your solar production, and you have the prices with some uncertainty as well. And we even have a visualization for that where you go through time. Uh, that's a video on our website on the front page where uh, I try to explain this in two and a half minutes. Also, there's this visualization that you go through. That's what we do with customers in this consulting part, let's say. And then we can really bring across how we've modeled this very well. Interesting. And so when did you launch the commercial product? Like when did you start monetizing? The story I've told so far that it has begun 2018. We had a first customer from South Korea uh, in that time. 
That was uh, A1 Engineering. Shout out to them. You always uh, remember that that's when it started. So it wasn't until uh, a couple of years later that you open sourced the open source project, right? Right, but it was shortly after. I think 2019, we thought about it. No, I have to actually look, go back to the, to the logs uh, and look at it. 2020 or so. Yeah, so we started out closed um, and, and then made the decision when, when it was still uh, possible because we didn't have too many of these relationships uh, and too much commercial history. So walk me through a little bit the decision to to open source your uh, the, the software that you open sourced. So I mentioned the first argument, let's say, which is on this high level that I want to work on, on something that makes the biggest impact possible. And the impact also has to uh, happen soon. As I said earlier, it has to happen in all the countries. Uh, every country has a different timeline, but definitely is needed. I think I have two more. One was also that I, um, well, the Netherlands are pretty much um, ahead of its uh, of this uh, trend. Um, I, you can see that, for instance, with the dynamic pricing suppliers, where you have already six. I think electric vehicles have a good spread here. It's the Netherlands are usually a good place to start uh, something innovative. You do have to leave the Netherlands, though. It's it's a nice nice little market, right, where you can talk to everyone within a year or two. Uh, so a, a couple of companies started here, but the story always is you have to also make sure you will leave it. You you also uh, go to the rest of Europe or even to the US because conquering the Netherlands isn't actually making a really a big company. And in this context, conquering the Netherlands wouldn't also really make a dent in the energy transition problem, in the, in the climate tech problem. So I wanted to get ahead of the competition there and uh, and, and show what we do and, and really... Uh, also build relationships outside of the Netherlands. Mostly, I would say, users outside of the Netherlands and the commercial focus right now in the Netherlands. But the open source uh, really helped to lay out this roadmap strategically. Now, I also like to uh, very open with that. So it's it, it tied me down to that path. Also, the, t- the path of transparency, which might be the third argument. The transparency is, of course, I, I think that's a customer bonus for them to, to really see how we do things. I can always say, do you have a technical person in your team? Maybe somebody, preferably, who even knows Python. After this call, send them this link uh, and and you can ask them what they think because I'm proud of what we did here. I'm proud of how we documented it. And I think that there's some things that we do better than others and we took our time. We uh, lived frugally and I want to show that. If you're better... Then open source is a way, I think, to prove it. That's a good way to put it. How did you decide, like, how much of your software is is open source? Do you have an open core model, or is it all all open source? And if it is more open core, how did you decide what to put in the open source and what to to hold back? Yeah, I don't have a crisp answer on that yet. Uh, we're looking at the open core model, but we have to identify the premium customer first. Like, what what would they really need? It might be the simulations that there's some software to put together these scenarios so that not flex measures itself, but something that creates a lot of value in, in these uh, consultancy settings to quickly generate a couple of scenarios and, and, and well, feed them with, with the parameter values. And after the after so, uh, flex measures has run all of these and get out these, these, these data points, I think that might be where we see some, uh, some code that's outside of the core. Other than that, we've open sourced a lot. Flex measures itself. That's basically a smart uh, web application. It's based on Flask. 
So usually you would say that's the cloud-based part. Right now we're also moving to more to supporting developers in other spheres of interacting with Flex Measures. So we've wrote a Flex Measures client now. That's basically you would use that on premise, maybe on your your local energy management to make it easier. I mean. FlexMeasures has an API, but even that is effort. So make that easier. That's open source. We have a UI, but I would say uh, custom UIs are also a great idea for um, premium customers that we support them by writing code that really fits towards uh, their visualization needs. So just to make sure I understand, basically everything is open source right now, but the way that you monetize it is with the hosted version and with the services. Is that more or less right? I think that describes it quite well. And we, we have the option to, um, as always, I think open core means uh, what you do right now, the, the latest and, and highest value things are usually the things that you don't make open source right away and you monetize them first. So that's our reality right now. So I was also curious because you talked about working with startups in the energy sector and companies that are, you know, manage buildings or manage warehouses, I'm sure all sorts of different buildings. But what you didn't mention is like the big players in the energy sector. Do you work with big energy companies? Well, that hasn't happened so far. And, and what is big energy companies? Not sure what you mean. You, you would either have, so what, what we like to work with are the so-called energy service companies. There's an acronym even, it's ESCOs, but even that is very fractured. What are these services? So installation of assets and, and maintaining them is one, or basically just uh, b- being a data collector, metering. And uh, there we have a few contacts with bigger parties. Then you have energy suppliers, of course. That's really big incumbents. They also are redefining their roles sometimes, but every country is different. That's a a problem of the energy sector is that you cannot easily mirror what you're doing to another country if you need to deal with regulation, with with the different way prices are made, for instance. So I I don't think for us that's a very attractive big player. And um, the last one, you might have industry. So large, really consumers that consume a lot of energy and then we might have to find the flexible part. We can only work uh, with somebody if there's flexibility. That's why our company, actually the full name is Saita Energy Flexibility. If you have to use, if you have to consume your energy in that moment, then we only can work with you if you also put some storage of energy right next to it. And then the storage is the flexible part. So batteries are being used in uh, the built environment and industry more and more. In the industry world, it would be heat storage. I think that's even more interesting because uh, in the processing industry, often generate something, uh, yeah, heat. That's a very integral part. Heat's becoming electrified. That's uh, very interesting developments, but that's still a bit early. So it's, it just became clear that that's an, uh, an avenue that this sector needs to take. I have, I have dabbled in cold calling the German industry. Well, I'm German. And there's really important industry, of course, a lot of it. So uh, I, I found out the hard way how, how what the reaction there is, and uh, it's a difficult world to to enter, right? So we would have to focus only on that to have success there. The other avenue we're having, and I think that's an avenue uh, that Saita maybe might take, and I'm, I'm curious about your opinion there, is partnerships. So what I really want to do is focus on the optimization aspect that we are really good at. Uh, well, I did mention, by the way, that we're now uh, working with a team of six 
uh, but uh, we're basically, I'm what you could call a business person right now, half of my time, but the rest, we're all engineers, just knowing this one thing very well, this how to put flex measures to generating value through optimization. And I think our commercial avenue could be partnerships that uh, with, with partners who know a specific sector very well. And for German industry, for instance, I found a potential partner and now we're trying to find the best way to work together, which might still be subsidy at this moment because the German industry is yeah, difficult to, to get interested in these topics now that the energy prices have dampened a bit. But the partnership model, I think, might work very well. So if, if, if a partner understands a specific subsector like industry or the built environment or the various parts in it very well, then we can uh, align so that we really solve this problem very well for them and integrate very well with their platforms. We might actually configure and, and deliver the simulations together. I forgot one sector, which is farming. That is also very interesting. We have a, we made simulations for some farmers who have to cool their produce for months at a time. And there's big savings in that. So one last question before we wrap up, uh, which is what is your, your biggest challenge uh, right now? I think uh, the, I just mentioned that the, the, the partnerships, right? I think we've, we've built uh, technology uh, and we've come very far. And to productize that technology is currently the, the, the bigger challenge. And I've, I found it difficult because the, I, I think I've just mentioned all of these different players who have flexibility in their energy needs, but there's diversity and there's also diversity uh, over time because this world is just basically being made and, and all the, uh, everyone's confused and what they should be doing. For me, the partnership avenue is one way to go through there because I need something like product market fit. And unless I'm just focusing on one niche only uh, for the next five years or so, um, I think I wouldn't be getting that, but I think for partnerships to prioritize our services for these partners who have customers who use energy, that would be uh, my preferred way right now. Uh, but I have to find uh, time to model that, to work this out, to have you know all these serv service level agreements and descriptions. So I think that's where I'm struggling to find more time for and more conversations. Excellent. So how can listeners connect with you or learn more about you? Uh, or learn more about Saita? I'm on LinkedIn. So that's where I, I think these conversations are happening a lot. And um, that's a great place. Our company website, of course. Um, I haven't mentioned yet that in the, on, the, in, on the open source part, we've actually donated flex measures to the Linux Energy Foundation, which uh, is an interesting place. I mean, I, you probably know the Linux Foundation and then the Linux Foundation having these sub-foundations for topics. Um, and they also have, uh, there's, for instance, there we host a Slack channel uh, only for flex measures if you really want to talk about the tech. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This was a, a really good conversation and I learned a lot too, because this is uh, not a not an industry that I know that much about. Happy to hear. And it's it's so large. If you uh, if you go around the country and, and just have this energy goggle on, like where, where is energy happening? You see all these wires and you see uh, energy being used in, in every major activity. It couldn't be bigger. Absolutely. All right. On that note, Thank you so much. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for another episode of The Business of Open Source. If you've enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to share it and review it. And if you'd like to work with someone who understands open source businesses to position your project and position your product individually and in relation to each other, reach out. I'm Emily Omir, and you can find me on LinkedIn and on the web at emilyomir.com. See you next week.